Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. It's fall, y'all, and this Thursday is Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Um, We have so much to be thankful for in this season. This past September, we did a sermon series called Traitors, and we looked at uh, the deceptiveness of social media, of money, and of religion. And today we'll look at another traitor, a famous traitor. There are lots of famous traitors throughout the ages betraying their king or their empire. Um, And there's a lot of traitors in Hollywood. Um, Some of the most famous traitors or the most villainous traitors that I remember in recent history in Hollywood, number one would be Newman from Jurassic Park, okay? His name's not really Newman there, but uh, he put everyone in danger for money. Then there's uh, one that my my kids know, Creek from Trolls, okay? Uh, He betrayed the trolls and Princess Poppy for the Bergens. And then there's Prince Hans, right? The youngest of 12 brothers living in the Southern Isles. He pretends to fall in love with Princess Anna only to betray her in the end to try and become king of Arendelle. And then finally, um, maybe the most treacherous villain of all. Does anyone remember Nick Peterson from Bachelor Pad? Okay, this is the, the Bachelor franchise. He betrayed Rachel. He kept $250,000 for himself, and it was just riveting television. But there is no greater traitor that we know of than the one that we're going to explore today. This morning, we turn our attention to the most famous, and that is Judas. Now, we don't often hear sermons on Judas or really any kind of Bible study on Judas. No one ever says, you know, I've been reflecting a lot on the life of Judas. You know, it's really been speaking to me. He is one of the most reviled villains in all of human history. When I was a boy uh, and I would see a photo of the Last Supper or a painting, I would look at it trying to discern which one was Judas. I looked for the meanest the ugliest, and the most sinister of all the disciples, but I could not find him. And that's because that's not who Judas was. Judas looked normal because Judas was normal. He held a high position within the 12 disciples. The other disciples had confidence in him. Uh, And so we're going to look at the story of Judas, and we'll see what we can learn from his fall this fall. Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Uh, He was a member of a good group of people, right? He was one of the 12 disciples. What more elite company can you ask for, right? Everywhere he went, he was known as one of the 12, those in close proximity to Jesus. 
uh, almost always with Jesus, spent three years with Jesus, saw miracles in people's lives being changed by Jesus. I believe that Judas was a committed disciple. It's not until Matthew chapter 26 that we hear a single hint of his wavering or complaining or withdrawing or his treacherous behavior. And the Gospels were written post-betrayal, right? Everybody already knew that Judas was the bad guy, and yet through the first 25 chapters of Matthew, there's no mention of this villain or his villainous activities. If you want to know what Jesus saw in Judas and why he chose him, try this. Judas left his family, his job, his friends, perhaps a chance at popularity, wealth, and power, to follow a man who he believed was Lord, to sleep on the ground, to eat handouts, and to live hand-to-mouth for the rest of his life. He listened to parables and sermons. He saw Jesus walk on water and turn water into wine. He saw Jesus raise the dead and open the eyes of the blind. He broke bread with the Lord. He walked with him mile after mile. He saw him intercede and pray and love. He saw him walk among sinners for three years and yet do nothing wrong in deed or thought. Judas was close, but no cigar. Uh, this was a popular idiom. It means to fall short of a successful outcome or a close call. It was first coined in the late 19th century here in the United States. Now, while it can't be proven definitively, the phrase likely originated from the fairgrounds around the time. Much like fairs today, where you would try some impossible task to win a large stuffed animal or something, this was prevalent back then. Nearly impossible games, but people would win just enough to keep the things interesting. Games of strength, accuracy, skill, played by men and women. Well, these days, moms and dads usually have their kids hanging around them wanting a present. But back then, the award or the prize for completing this carnival, this fair, um, wasn't for kids, it was for the adults. And so back then, prizes weren't typical for kids. And very often, cigars were a common prize given to mom or dad if they won. Judas was close, but no cigar. His failure is, has been proclaimed for the past 2,000 years. There is not one hint of deception in Judas. And then we get to the story in John, and John kind of lets us in on the fact that maybe there's something askew. Maybe there's something a little bit off. John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas was chosen to be the treasurer of the group of the twelve. Matthew was the obvious choice. Matthew was a tax collector. He worked with money all the time, but Judas was trusted in a different way. And Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew the struggles that lied within Judas, yet he still chose him to be a disciple, and he still chose him to handle all the money. Jesus chose Judas to oversee the money. It's, it's like Jesus is saying, Judas, I know you're a thief, but every morning you got to choose money or me, 
money or me, money or me. Well, he chose money. Matthew 26, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You see, Judas placed his hope and trust in Jesus, and he wanted Jesus to win the day, to get rid of the Romans, to become the Messiah, the promised one that was going to free Israel, and Israel was going to be back on top. But that was not the kind of kingdom Jesus was coming to establish. And so Judas's hopes were falling by the wayside. His expectations of what he expected God to do and to be like were being blown away in Jesus right in front of him. And so he sought an opportunity to betray him. And Judas was so greedy that he didn't even name his price. He just said, what will you give me if I hand him over to you? How much? This is greed. It wasn't lust that led to the fall of Judas. It was greed. It's so subtle because we don't even realize money has us until it's too late, until we put all our eggs in that basket, until we have actually lived our lives just to get more of that. Money and getting money and having money and spending money is not the purpose of life. Two medical researchers at the University of Louisville have looked into the question and found that 13% of all coins and 42% of all paper money carry disease-producing organisms. And yet, if you saw a $20 bill lying on the street, you'd probably pick it up. We hold up money to be this cure-all for everything. Like, I wouldn't be stressed out if I just had this amount of money. I wouldn't be unhappy if my checking account had just a couple more zeros in it. Yes, you would. Billy Graham says, tell me what you think about money and I'll tell you what you think about God. Are you generous? Do you hold money tightly or loosely able to give it away? This is the call of the Christ follower, to be generous. I truly believe that money and the desire for money can become an idol for all of us, and it could lead us away from Jesus. It did Judas. John 13, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's referring to John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Notice that none of his disciples say, it's Judas, get him, right? 
Jesus says, it's the one whom I will dip this piece of bread and give it to. He dips it, gives it to Judas, and they're like, it's Judas, everybody, get Judas. No, 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 there's not a hint of that. They don't understand what's happening, and they certainly don't think that Judas is capable of betraying Jesus. Verse 27, so Jesus told him, what, are you, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. I love that last line. Judas goes literally and figuratively into the darkness. Now in the ancient Middle East, the host of the banquet customarily would give a piece of bread, dip it, and hand it to the guest of honor. Some suggest that this was a last gesture by Jesus to Judas. It was a gesture of love. Perhaps his last effort to try and get Judas to recant his evil intentions. And earlier that night, Jesus had shown another display of love towards Judas by washing his feet. See, he washed Peter's feet, the disciple whom he loved. He washed James' feet. He washed John's feet. He washed Matthew's feet. And he washed Judas's feet. What was going through Judas's mind as he watched Jesus perform the task of a slave? See, even when, when we are hiding disobedience, when we're not in the right mindset, Jesus still shows us his love in the hopes to bring us back to him. So he makes us the guest of honor. He washes our feet in the hopes that we would turn to him. We think Judas was this, this guy who was always bad, always malicious, always deceitful. He wasn't. No one, when, when, when one of the disciples says, who's going to betray you, Lord? No one goes, Psst, it's Judas. He's got those shifty eyes. He's shady. Uh, his heart never feels like it's into, he's into this whole thing. No, no one suspected him. The appearance of good can never be proof that there is no bad. As the old hymn says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. When Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, he calls him Rabbi or teacher, and Jesus calls him friend. Betrayed with a kiss, a gesture of love used to betray love itself in Christ. Jesus was arrested, falsely condemned by the authorities. Judas had done his deed. There was no turning back. 
I read this week of a pastor who was ministering to a couple in his church. And the couple had children about the same age as the pastor. And so they immediately had it, you know, hit it off and had this wonderful friendship, this budding friendship. There was this great connection there. And the wife, she was a Christian, but her husband, he was not. He came to church with the family and he brought the kids, but he always kept things at arm's length away. The wife would often ask for prayer for her husband that he would become a follower of Jesus. And the pastor began a friendship with the man. There seemed to be this this stirring inside of his heart, but something may be holding him back. And the pastor encouraged him to give his life to Jesus. And the man said, there's a huge part of me that wants to do that, to follow Jesus, but I'm in the oil business. And when I work with potential clients, my boss tells me, spend whatever you need to spend. Grant these clients whatever they desire, as long as it comes with a contract at the end. And he goes, so that's what I do. He told this to the pastor. I provide these clients what they desire, their sinful desires, so that my company can get a lucrative contract. And I'm compensated for it. So you see, pastor, I cannot give my life to Jesus just yet. After some time, the the man came to the pastor and said, "Uh, I can't do it anymore. I'm changing jobs within the company. And once I do, I am giving my life to Jesus. And the pastor urged him, no, no, do it now. Uh, Don't wait till tomorrow, do it now. And the man said, no, 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 just two weeks. I promise I'll be out of this role and I can follow Jesus. The pastor said that was the last time he saw the man. His company made him an offer that he could not refuse. Following Jesus isn't casual. It's not like deciding, am I going to go work out today or am I not? Do I got to run these errands at the store? Do I have time for this or not? No, 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 no. Following Jesus is being all in. Like the great hymn, Wonderful Cross, were the whole realm of nature mine. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. God wants you, all of you. When Jesus is everything to you, he's not for sale. There's nothing that the world can offer. What happens with Judas? Matthew 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. It is an awful story. Judas tries to undo what cannot be undone. Some in the Christian tradition have wondered if Judas's so-called repentance means that he has escaped eternal damnation. But such speculation rises to focusing on Judas rather than on the one whom Judas betrays. And that is the point of the narrative. What Judas did is not beyond 
the forgiveness enacted by Jesus's crucifixion. Guilt and remorse doesn't mean repentance. Judas felt guilty about what he had done. The Bible says he was remorseful. He felt so bad that he took the 30 pieces of silver and he threw it back. But guilty Judas went to the wrong people for forgiveness. He should have went to the one he betrayed. Surely he wasn't far away enough to not return. No one is. Judas had listened to the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who slapped his father in the face and said, I'd rather wish you were dead. And so give me my money. And he wasted it all and realized that it's nothing. And he comes back broken, emaciated, hungry, poor, dirty. And yet, while he was still a long ways away, the father ran to his son. Judas knew that all too well. Repentance means turning around. Like if Sarah and I are driving and she says, John, you missed the turn. I say, my bad, my bad, but I just keep going. John, you missed the turn. I know, babe, I, I'm sorry, okay? I, I feel bad about it, okay? I ask for forgiveness, but I keep driving and going along my merry way. That's not repentance. Repentance is not feeling bad. Repentance is turning the car around and making the wrong right. Going back to the road you missed in the first place. Judas could have turned around and went to Jesus hanging on the cross. Judas felt guilty, but he still wouldn't turn to the one that could forgive him. Guilty feelings don't equal repentance. Some of you have said you're sorry to someone that you love but you didn't make it right. Some of you have said to God that you're sorry and you feel bad, but that's not repentance. Following Jesus isn't about never failing, never falling. It's fall, y'all. How do you, it's more about how you respond when you fall. This, this series is not about how things fall, the walls of Jericho or how David fell or how Judas fell and how we all fall. No, no, it's about how we respond once we fall. And what we find in the story of Judas is what we find in ourselves. He listened to parables and sermons. He saw Jesus do miracles, raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind, broke bread with the Lord. Jesus Judas, what we find in Judas is what we find in ourselves. That we can be in close proximity to Jesus and never really know him. Close, but no cigar. Now, what is Jesus thinking about during this whole betrayal scene? What is Jesus experiencing when he is literally and figuratively being stabbed in the back by someone he loves? Well, he's God. He's not like us. And God has a different way of categorizing conflict. So often in my life, I associate God with comfort and the devil with discomfort, with conflict. But sometimes it is the devil that will make your life comfortable, so comfortable that you don't think you need God anymore. And it is God that will allow a conflict in your life that will make you fall on your knees and proclaim, God, I need you now more than ever. I've always needed you. 
I think some of us need to go home and relabel conflict as opportunity. How dumb would it be for us to drop the weights just because they get heavy and expect any muscular improvement? We run from conflict and we pray for blessing and often we're running from what we're praying for. The story of Judas teaches us that the deceptiveness in him also lies in us. That the greed that led Judas, the disciple of Christ, to betray the very one who knit him together in his mother's womb. Yeah, that greed lives in us too. That, that we could be close in proximity to Jesus and still be distant from Jesus in our heart. It doesn't matter if you attend on Sunday mornings, if you watch online, that you go to church every week, that you tithe 10% uh, of your income to the local church, that you give that to God. None of that matters. Outwardly, appearance doesn't matter. It's what's in your heart. And is Jesus there calling you to himself to deal with your internal conflicts and to deal with your external conflicts? Jesus is calling you to give that to him so he can bring light to where there is darkness. And he's calling you to come home. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would get rid of greed in our hearts and replace it with generosity. That the darkness that leads to deceit would be replaced by light that leads to truth. And that the hatred we feel towards others could be transformed by your great love to be unfailing love towards others. God, we need you. We love you. We give you this week in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we begin a brand new sermon series called Christmas at the Movies. And we're going to transform the Buller Theater into a movie theater. And so we're gonna have popcorn and concession stand and all kinds of fun elements. And so if you've been waiting to come back in person, we wanna encourage you to make Christmas uh, your own here at Prodigal and see us in person. We're gonna have an absolute blast. We hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving. Peace to the Middle East.